I'd invite you to open your Bible to the Gospel of John, the Gospel according to John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, fourth book in your New Testament, chapter 14. That's where we'll be studying God's Word in just a, a few moments, John chapter 14. This past uh, Friday afternoon, I was in one of the local nursing homes meeting with uh, visiting Barbara, who's 88 years old, and this will be her first Christmas since her husband passed away earlier this year, and um, we spent some time reminiscing, talking about when she and her husband first met, and we'd talked about that previously, but we just went back over that story. It was at a dance, and and uh, he cut in. She was dancing with someone else, and he cut in, and and uh, danced with her, and then he took her and some of her friends home, and I guess you could say the rest is history after that. They started dating and, and uh, raised a family. And we talked about all the different places they had lived, the different jobs they had had, talked about the family, and talked about his passing. And after talking for several moments, we prayed together. And, uh, you know, it'll, it'll be different for her this year. First Christmas without her husband. Wednesday night in this room we had our annual memorial service when we remember those who have died before us and are already in heaven. And And I spoke to several people after the service, uh, some whose loved one died recently, others whose loved one died many years ago. But it doesn't matter when it happened, you still feel that loss. And as one person described it, uh, Whose, whose husband died a number of years ago. It feels like it was just yesterday, and it feels like it was a long, long time ago, all at the same same moment. And that's, that's, that's true. Have one person thank me for us having the memorial service every year because it was important to them to have a time during Christmas to really remember, to remember that person that was so important to them but is no longer here with us. And I think all of us understand that death is the great enemy of life. In fact, the Bible calls death uh, the final enemy that God will put under his feet. It's, 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 it's an enemy of God. It's an enemy of uh, humanity. It's an enemy of life. And we understand that it brings sorrow and anxiety, fear, questions. And having a relationship with Jesus Christ, knowing him, which is what we're talking about this, this month, knowing Jesus, because we know him, it matters. It makes a difference. Knowing Jesus does not take away all the sorrow. Knowing Jesus does not remove all the pain. Knowing Jesus does not mean that five years later or 15 years later or even 25 years later, you still don't have moments when you grieve and you miss them. Knowing Jesus doesn't take all that away, but knowing Jesus does make a difference. And knowing him does help. I want to talk about that this morning. I want us to use an experience from the life of Jesus with his followers, with his disciples, to learn some lessons about how knowing Jesus helps us and how eventually the enemy of death will be completely defeated and all the pain that it's caused vanquished. Um, John chapter 14 is the story, and the setting, the background, if you will, is is found in chapter 13. We're going to study chapter 14, but in chapter 13, Jesus is with his 12 disciples. They're in the, uh, the upper room having their last meal together because later that evening he will be arrested. The following morning he will be crucified. And he's telling the disciples this is going to happen. Now Judas gets up and leaves because he's the one that goes and betrays Jesus. 
And so they're having this conversation, Jesus and the remaining 11 disciples, and he's saying, I'm going to leave you. And you can't go where I'm going. You can't follow me. You you can later, but not now. Meaning that he was going to the cross and he was going to be buried and that he would, after the resurrection, ascend to the Father and and heaven. And, And he's saying, you can't go with me right now. Now, later you can be with me, but not now. And so they're starting to get some understanding of what's going to happen, but they don't fully appreciate it. But they're struggling with it. The idea that Jesus is going away and they will no longer be with him. The idea that Jesus is going to die and uh, they'll be separated from him for a season bothers them just like it does us. Maybe even as a follower of Jesus Christ, we know we will see those who've already died. We'll see them again if they knew Jesus. It's not forever, but it still hurts and it still troubles us. And so that's the setting. And so Jesus, knowing that they're upset, that they're anxious, tells them some things, makes some promises to them. And those promises are not only for them, they are also for us. Let's look at what he said in John chapter 14, starting at verse 1. He said, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. The old King James translates it mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Then in verse 3, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, to me. That where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way. You know the way where I'm going. And then Thomas speaks up and says to to Jesus, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how do we know the way? I mean, if we don't know where you're going, how do we know the way there? Verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. Now, Jesus begins his conversation with his disciples who are upset because he's going to leave them and die and they'll be separated from him. He begins that conversation by saying, do not let your heart be troubled because it's a natural thing that when we think about death, when we lose people we care about, that our hearts are troubled, that there's anxiety and and concerns. That's just normal. What Jesus says, you believe in God, believe also in me. He said, now trust me. In the midst of your questions, the midst of your anxiety, the midst, in the midst of your, your trouble, your fear, your hurt, he says, trust me, because I'm going to tell you something. Believe God, believe me, trust me, trust what I say, because I'm going to make you two promises. And that's what he does in this chapter. He gives us, just as he gave them, two promises promises and I want us to look at them this morning the first promise is this Jesus said I promise you a special place in my house I promise you a special place in my father's house look at verse 2 he said in my father's house are many dwelling places if it were not so I would have told you he said I'm not lying to you I'm telling you what awaits you 
and others who trust me, who believe in me in the future. In my Father's house are many dwelling places, and I'm going to prepare one for you. As you know, the New Testament was written in the Greek language, and here it's translated into English, and the word translated house there is the word oikia, from the word oikos, which is the, the Greek word that's just a, a, an everyday, down-to-earth word for house, for home. So when Jesus describes heaven, when he describes the Father's house, he doesn't use a formal word. He doesn't use a fancy word. He doesn't use the word mansion even. He doesn't use the word palace. He says, in my Abba Oikia, in my daddy's home, in my daddy's house, in my father's house. That's, that's the way he refers to heaven here. He says there are many dwelling places. And, and, and as I mentioned earlier, some Bibles translate it rooms, others mansions. I think the King James translates it mansions because when you think about a place in heaven, it's got to be spectacular. But the word doesn't mean mansion. The word means a place where you abide a place where you live, a place where you, where you remain, a place where you stay. And so Jesus is saying, in, in my daddy's house, in my father's house, there are a whole lot of abiding places, places for you to dwell, to live. And they're not temporary. They remain permanent rooms, permanent places where you live, where you remain, where you stay where you dwell, you don't have to leave. But notice what Jesus said. So, so there's these special places in my daddy's house. He said, but I'm going, I'm going back to my daddy's house with all those special places, and I'm going to prepare one for you. I'm going to get one ready for you. Now, our, our uh, children and grandchildren are with us this weekend. Yesterday and this afternoon, we're celebrating Christmas, eating and opening gifts and all of that, and there will be a mess this afternoon in one of our rooms. Now, can you imagine what my wife did in anticipation of them coming? She got things ready. You want to make sure everything's just right when company comes. That's the idea here, that Jesus says, in my Father's house there are all these dwelling places, all of these rooms and I'm going back to my daddy's house to get one of them ready for you. Wow! Jesus is preparing my place, my room, your place, your room. That's one of the promises he makes. That's why he says, you believe in God, believe in me. I'm telling you the truth. If it was otherwise, I would tell you, there's all these places, and I'm going to prepare one for you. A lot of us have fun memories of where we grew up. I, I was, as a kid, lived in my grandfather's farmhouse. And in the early years, it was just a, you know, an old white wood frame house, and the, the foundation was uh, big rocks that they had piled up and cemented together and built a house on top of. Y'all seen houses like that? No underpinning around it or anything. So it could get cold in the wintertime as the wind blew through there. And that, that old farmhouse was heated by two fireplaces. 
I remember when we got a furnace, one of the greatest days of our lives. It was an old coal furnace. And we, we never felt a house so warm as when we got that coal furnace. And then as the kid who had to go down and under the house at night and put coal in that furnace, I was really happy when we got a stoker. Any of you know what a coal stoker is? It's basically a machine that you feel during the day and at night it just keeps shoveling the coal in the furnace so you don't have to do it. It was a hallelujah day when we put that stoker in with that furnace. And, of course, I saw that house remodeled over the years, but I have all these memories, okay? Had a wraparound porch that went around three sides at old farmhouse. And then I could tell story after story after story of things that happened in that place where I grew up fond, fond uh, memories. I, I remember very well the first house Monisa and I lived in when we got married. It was a house next door to our home church. I was in seminary, a bivocational pastor. She just finished college, got her first job as a social worker, and... Uh, Church let us live in that house. Now, here's the thing. It was an old two-story house, and we had one bedroom, a kitchen, and a living room, and that was it. The rest of the house was used for Sunday school, and we shared the laundry room with a daycare next door. But you know what? We were happy. The first few weeks in that house, we had these, you know these orange milk crates? That was our end tables. My dad felt sorry for us one day and brought some furniture. But, you know, we were happy. We didn't care. But all of us have, you know, fun memories of those places that we've lived over the years. And, 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 and God tells us about that place, okay, his place, his daddy's house, and that dwelling place, that abiding place, that room in it that he's prepared for us, that, that Jesus gets ready, and it's going to be more special than those places we lived in the past that we have such fun memories of. I shared Wednesday night at the memorial service a couple of verses from 2 Corinthians. I want you to look at with me. I'm putting these on the screen for you. But just to give you a sense of how wonderful this place he's preparing for us is, this is the Apostle Paul, and in chapter 12, he says, I know a man, he's referring to himself in the third person. So Paul is the one who has this experience. So Paul says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body or in spirit, I don't, you know, I don't know. Was it just a, a trance or was he literally, he doesn't know. But anyway, he was caught up to the third heaven. God, God allowed the apostle Paul into heaven. I, I've not had that experience. But God gave Paul that experience. It's one of the reasons I think he writes so much about it. And let's look at verse 4. Skip a couple verses. Look at verse 4. And he says he was caught up in paradise. Paradise is another name for heaven. Multiple names in the New Testament that refer to God's dwelling place. Paradise is one of them. And notice what he said. He said, I heard inexpressible words. He says, what, what I heard and I saw in heaven is such that I can't express it. And, 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 and the praise and the joy was beyond, was beyond our ability as human beings to explain in our own language. You ever experienced anything that, I mean, it was difficult to describe it to somebody. You tried and you tried, but your words were inadequate. Paul says that was heaven. He says, what I saw and what I heard was just like that. Inexpressible words. Notice which a man is not even permitted to speak. God says, don't even try because they won't get it. And then skipping a few more verses, going down to verse 7. So many people misunderstand Paul's thorn in the flesh. 
But Paul says because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, the surpassing greatness and glory and grandeur and wonder of what I saw when I was called up into heaven, because it was so glorious, because of the greatness of it, God did something to keep me from exalting myself, to keep me from being too puffed up, too proud, to to, to keep me from just being carried away all the time. God humbled me by giving me a thorn in the flesh, a thorn in the side, a physical condition to bring me back down to earth and to reality. See, heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people. And without a relationship with Jesus, you're not ready for it and you couldn't stand it if you were there. And in fact, it's so spectacular that once you taste it, you don't want anything to do with this place. So God had to humble Paul so he could continue living down here. I don't know what he saw. I don't know what he heard. All I know is that it was so incredible, so incredible. He said, I can't talk about it. God won't let me. There are no words to describe it. And God had to humble me because I was so excited. That's the reason in the first book of Corinthians, Paul says, your eyes not seen, your ears not heard, and your heart has not even imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Does that make a little more sense now? Jesus said, listen, when you face death and and, and all that comes with that, the grief and the anxiety, you're going to feel it and your heart's going to be troubled. But he says, believe God, believe me, trust me and what I'm going to tell you because I'm promising you something. I'm promising you a very, very special place but brothers and sisters there's more because I've learned something over the years and I think a lot of you have too I've lived in 10 houses in my lifetime I remember eight of them because two of them was I was a baby and don't remember I've just seen pictures so I've physically lived in two in 10 houses in my lifetime and in fact where we live now We've lived in that house since 1993, so I've lived in this house longer than any other house in my life. Some of you have lived in more than 10 houses. Some of you have only lived in one or two or three houses your whole life. But here's what I've learned, and and, and I think many of you have learned this as well, especially if you've lived in more than one or two houses in your life. You know what I've learned? It's not the house that makes you happy. It's the people that make it a home. Because I know a lot of people who have a nice house. They've lived in a long time and they're not happy because they don't have relationships. It's not the house. And those of you who've lived in one place your whole life and you're thinking that that place is what makes you happy, no, it's the memories, it's the people, it's the experiences, it's not the place. It's the relationships. That's the reason when Moniz and I had those uh, <laughs> orange milk crates for end tables, we were just as happy as we were after my dad bought us. Now, now I'll, I'll admit the day he brought us the new furniture, we were excited, but guess what? We weren't any more happy. It's the people that make it a home. And sometimes we lose sight of that and, and we sacrifice relationships to have stuff. Sometimes we sacrifice relationships to have a place. That doesn't work. It's the people. And you know something? Same thing is true with Jesus and us and his house. Because, yeah, yeah, heaven, 
Wow, can't put it into words. That place he's preparing for us spectacular. But it's not that which makes heaven so grand. What makes it so grand is he's there with us. Now look at what he said again in John 14. In my father's house, my father's house, many dwelling places. If it wasn't so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And verse 3, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Do you, do you see the, the personal, intimate nature of it? See, what they were upset about, what was troubling their heart, was that they were going to be separated from Jesus because he was leaving them, he was going to die. And he's trying to say to them, hey, I'm I'm going to a special place and you're coming there too. But what makes it special, what makes it special, what makes it special isn't how glorious it is, isn't how beautiful it is, isn't how spectacular it is. What makes it special is we'll be together there. Jesus says, I'm I'm promising you a special place. But he also says, "I'm, I'm promising to be with you, for you to be with me in that special place. You see, the truth is we can be happy anywhere if we're together. But if you're not with people, you won't be happy. It doesn't matter where you are. And the same is true with Jesus. I um, remember years ago hearing about a country doctor who went to visit a, a patient who was a good friend of his, lived on a farm in a farmhouse. And uh, this old country physician took with him his best friend, his, his dog. And when he got to that farmhouse, his friend was upstairs in a bedroom sick. It was a serious illness. And so he left his pet downstairs while he went up to the bedroom and closed the door, went in, examined his friend, examined the patient. And after the examination, he was sitting on the bed talking with him. And at one point during the conversation, his friend asked him, he said, uh, what's it like to die? And the doctor was struggling with something to say. And suddenly, the doctor heard this noise, just kind of like a scratching, pawing noise. And he smiled. And he said to the patient, he said, you hear that? He said, that's my dog. I left him downstairs. But he's climbed those stairs, and he's, outside, he's out there in the hallway, and he hears my voice. Now, he's, he's never been in this room. He doesn't know what it looks like in here. He just hears my voice, and he knows I'm in here, and he wants to be where I am. And that's us and Jesus. I've never been to heaven. I've never seen it. I don't know what it's going to be like. I know it's spectacular. But you know what's going to make it really neat? Jesus is going to be there. The one I sing to, the one I pray to, the one I worship, the one I serve, the one I love, the one who saved me, the one who died for me, the one who knows every hair on my head, every thought I think, who knows everything about me, who sustains me, who redeems me, he's there. Just, just like you can walk into a strange room and you don't know anybody, but you look around and you find that one person you know and you make a beeline to them and you feel more comfortable because there's at least one person there you know in that strange place. I, 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 when I get to heaven, it's going to be all new and it's spectacular, but it's still going to be strange because I haven't been there before. But he's there. He's there. He's there. And I'll be at peace. And Jesus says, that's what I'm promising you. Because we know him, 
because we know this Messiah, because we know this Jesus, those promises belong to us. Are you thankful for that? Now, I know there are two different reactions in this room and those watching on television or via live stream, two different reactions to what I'm saying right now. One of those reactions, many of you, you get it. I mean, you were the ones who were saying amen and, and clapping a moment ago. You get it. You understand it. How glorious that is, not just to be in that place, but to be with him. That makes sense to you. But there are some of you, others of you, who don't get it. And you don't feel it. And when we talk about how wonderful it is because we're going to be with Jesus and he's going to be there, you're saying, okay, I get that intellectually, but man, so what? That doesn't really mean much to me. You know why it doesn't? Because you don't know him. Because you're not in a loving relationship with him. When you love somebody, you can't wait to be with them. Because we love him, we want to be with him, and we're excited about the fact that he's going to be with us. We get that. But if you don't know him and you're not in a loving relationship with him, that just doesn't do much for you. What, what do we always say when somebody dies? I mean, almost always. Not, not, not 100% of the time, but 90, 95% of the time when somebody dies, we all say the same thing. We always say, he is, he's in a better place now. She's in a better place now. Well, maybe. But we say it about everybody. Yet it's not true of everybody. How did Jesus begin this conversation? He said, you believe in God? Believe also in me. It's about a relationship. It's about a relationship. That's the reason in verse 5, Thomas said, Lord, where are you going and, and how do we get there? And Jesus, in this context, said, Thomas, it's me. It's Jesus. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. And no one gets there. No one makes it to that special place. No one gets to spend eternity with me. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's through a faith-loving relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and if, if this resonates with you and you get it, it's because you have a relationship with him. But if it doesn't resonate with you and you don't get it and you don't feel it, that means you need a relationship with him. Have you been thinking about committing your life to Jesus? Do you want more than a, a hope-so religion? I hope I'm going to heaven. I hope I'll be in one of those places when I die. You want more than a hope-so religion? Are you ready for a loving relationship with Jesus Christ, not just a connection to some church? Do you want a special place, Jesus' house? Earlier this year, in, in early June, out in Arizona, someone purchased a lottery ticket that was a winner. $14.6 million. Now, here's the thing. 
their state lottery, you have exactly six months, 180 days to claim the prize, the winnings. And if you don't claim it within 180 days, you forfeit. And the ticket becomes worthless. On December 2nd, okay, 20 days ago, on December 2nd, no one had claimed that $14.6 million. And all the money was forfeited. And if they come forward now, the ticket is absolutely useless, worth nothing. And how many people, maybe you, Jesus is offering himself. He's offering his home. He's offering a relationship. But for whatever reason, you're not claiming the prize. You keep waiting, you keep waiting, you keep putting it off. And and it's not 180 days, but for you and me, it's death. Because once you die, the ticket no longer is available, no longer any good. Because if you don't claim it now, you can't claim it then. And if you're one who's saying, you know, I've been thinking about committing my life to Jesus. I've been thinking about having a loving relationship with Jesus. I've been thinking about I need the real deal, not just a connection to some church. I need a relationship with him. If you've been thinking about I want a special place with him, then he says, here's the ticket. Claim it. It's him. It's him. It's Jesus. But you've got to reach out your hand in faith and take it. You have to reach out your heart and life and faith and give yourself to Christ and commit yourself to Jesus Christ. Short of that, the ticket is not worth anything for you. 